Hi everybody, it's Jamie, your friendly neighborhood dungeon manager. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that The Witcher is a show that contains a lot of extreme violence, potentially sensitive themes, and has some visuals that some people might find troubling. And while we try to cover these things as sensitively as possible, sometimes our discussion might delve into some content that some listeners might find troubling. So we just wanted to let you know before we get started, but like I said, we do our best to keep it tasteful and respectful. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my prophesied co-hosts. It's true, but I'm trying to thwart the prophecy. My name is Chelsea Hollowell. Oh, you said a witcher thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a sentient memory construct that is dancing in the hall in Sintra, and, uh... I just saw Siri walk by, but I think it's it's all good. Like, we're going to have a good time, and I'll get to stick around for quite a while. She's, like, feeling at home here, you know? She must remember your face if you're in her memory construct. So that's something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. She definitely, like, you'll definitely be okay, because she wouldn't leave, right? She yeah. wouldn't do that to me. No. Yeah. No. Good. You seem solid. Yeah. Good point. As long as I keep having fun with her, we're all good. Oh, that's nice. Fun forever. Or else. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my family motto. Oh, very cool. Uh, my name is Jack Olander, a dryad of the mystic forest, uh, who uh, hasn't actually uh, been able to detect anything different over the last several months. Oh, Not, phew. I don't really read the news, you know. Uh, You're better off that way. Oh, boy. Sounds I, peaceful. I hope Sintra's doing okay. And Karamoran. <laughs> Nilfgaard's a real shithole, am I right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think there's any, uh, you know, gossip from the tree roots coming from Nilfgaard. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. Fertilizer carries information, right? Because the Nilfgaardians are shit. Oh, yeah, you're wow. right. <laughs> well, no news is good news, I guess. <laughs> well, guys, it's time for another episode on The Witcher Season 2, and it wouldn't be a Witcher episode without our special guest, Witcher Correspondent. Hi, it's Casey, and I am a tree enclosing a very important obelisk. I'm just wrapping it up inside me. Oh, I'm worried that you might get cracked open before too long. <laughs> cracked open like an egg. <laughs> and you're important, so that means that everybody knows about you and understands how to protect you, right? One should hope. <laughs> With any luck. <laughs> or one would hope. Yeah. Now, uh, Casey, I need you to help me settle a bet here. Uh, Is it true that you're one of our patrons? Oh, fuck yeah. I think I'm like (laughs) top tier number one. According to you guys, I'm like the very first patron. Yeah, I was wrong about that. Oh, I knew it! I knew it! 
Nick, you got you by a couple days. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I knew it. You know, if anybody else wants to be cool like Casey, they can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up for one of our membership tiers. It's true. You get tons of cool monthly perks like special episodes and voting on a movie we watch each month. It's awesome. Can't beat it. And we want to thank our other patrons that are always there for us, supporting us as well. All right, guys. Well, we are finally here. It is both an exciting and a sad day because we're going to be talking about the final episode of the second season of The Witcher. That was more the than I was planning on. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode eight, Family. 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 Was Dom just here just now? (laughs) (laughs) Dominic Toretto, star of beloved fantasy franchise, The Fast and the Furious? When will he, Witcher? When will he? Well, I mean, when we do The Last Witch Hunter. Oh, yeah. Really good point, actually. Yes, I've been waiting on pulling the trigger for that movie for, like, a really special occasion. We'd better just kick it in the schedule. I was planning on doing it for my birthday this year, but life has been fucking crazy. Oh, yeah, you're right. Anyways, um, (laughs) so we've got a lot to say about this final episode, but we should probably do a quick recap to remind the listeners what goes down in this family-oriented episode of The Witcher. So Siri is possessed by the Deathless Mother, and she's uh, mentally trapped in uh, the kingdom of Sintra before everybody died. A vision of Sintra. Yeah, a vision of Sintra. It's um, like an interactive movie in her head. Ooh, that sounds like a blast. (laughs) And uh, she's, she's just spending this episode mostly conflicted about leaving that. Uh, while the Deathless Mother uses her body as a way to wreak havoc in Kermorin. As a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And meanwhile, Geralt and Yennefer arrive at Kermorin just in time to catch Ciri in the act. But it's not really Ciri, as Casey just said. It's really Voleth Mare, the Deathless Mother, slaughtering witchers in their beds, getting revenge for... The perceived slight of being um, stuffed eternally into a witch's hut. Daddy Geralt arrives just in time to save Daddy Vesemir. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A lot of daddy energy. But so Geralt uh, really wants to try to protect Siri and free her from Volathmir's possession. And he spends most of this episode trying to fight back against the possession and eventually, with the help of Yennefer, who seemingly sacrifices herself, is able to free Siri. And we get a little cameo from the Wild Hunt, so that's exciting. Exciting for people who know what it is. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell it is. It's the Wild Hunt. You don't I, say. I barely know. Oh, and also Yen is okay, I guess, afterwards, and she's got her magic back. She's so, completely healed. Yeah, so Yay. <laughs> Even all her trauma is healed? Yep. Great. No, unfortunately, only physical scars. Ah. 
Too bad. It only took her 80 or 90 years. Speaking of physical scars, the elves. What are they up to right about now? At the end of the last episode, we saw Dara switch his loyalties to the elves. Way to go, Dara. Probably a good choice. And we see Dara telling the leaders, Francesca and Philavandral, that he was a Redean spy, and that he suspects it was the Redeans that killed the new elven hope. Redanians. Redanians, even. <laughs> <laughs> So naturally, Francesca leads a venge-justice slaughter <laughs> against the Redean people. Sintrin. Redanian. <laughs> no, it's the Sintrins. No, it's the Redanians. It's she the goes Redanian. up to Redania. Oh, they got to Redania. Oh, yeah, wow. They that was a stole quick horses and went to oh, Redania. Okay. And uh, killed babies. I'm glad we could clear that up for you Thank <laughs> in, the, you. in the summary. <laughs> That's right. And for all you listeners. <laughs> Trigger warning. Then after their just crusade, they camp out in the forest and are visited by the handsome one himself, Istrid, the mage, who tells them that Ciri might just might just save the dang elven people. She's the chosen one. She's got elder blood. And we all remember the elven name for her position, right? Exactly. We don't even need to say it. Precisely. No, we all know elven so thoroughly. Yeah. We all have it. Hen extra. That's what I was going to say. Heniska? Don't put this in the show. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's hen extra. Extra. Hennessy. <laughs> I believe it's called Slurricane. Wow. <laughs> she sounds like a DJ. <laughs> She's got that DJ Jazzy Jeff up in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fringilla is wringing her hands over the loss of her elven allies, and Kahir comes into the rescue. Does he? Kind of doubling, he thinks, (laughs) kind of doubling down on supporting her after her ludicrous display in the last episode. (laughs) And um, he claims that, you know, she should lay claim to the deed of killing the elven hope. (laughs) That's a nice sanitary way to talk about (laughs) infanticide. (laughs) And, um... She does, she's kind of resisting that at first, but he's saying that if I'm gonna support you when Amir gets here tomorrow, that's what we have to say. And we have to pretend that the elves are doing our bidding in the north. So they try that out on their emperor, and it doesn't go so well, because he's the one who ordered the hope killing. Huh, whoops! <laughs> he's like the anti-Obama. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't get that at first. <laughs> Me neither. I was just like, yeah, oh wait. <laughs> um no, no hope. Yeah, yeah, hopeless. He has Fringilla and Kahir arrested, and lo and behold, Amir is Siri's father. Done, done, and also done. And then he takes his place on the new Nelf Guardian throne. D- done knee. 
Dun- oh Woo! shit! <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Dooney. Done. And also Dunny. Dunny. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really work. It's not the same sound, but, you know, I could force a fit if I want. Yeah, it's a slant rhyme. <laughs> Wild. All right, well, that's a good, concise summary. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher, Season 2, Episode 8, Family. So guys, a lot of stuff happens in this episode. I'm sure we all have some big burning questions that we gotta ask about what went down and what all of this means for the future. I do, Jamie. Thank you for asking. How the fuck did Amir know about the Elven Baby? Um, he was, uh, informed by his messengers from Nilfgaard? Well, they should have all been working for Kahir and Fringilla, or so they thought. So he already had spies amongst his people. I don't know if it counts as spies if, you know... <laughs> if they were, if they're reporting to the person <laughs> they're supposed to be reporting re- to. Yeah, if everybody's well, supposed have- to be reporting to Amir. The- it, that does count. Like, you can have spies spying on your own subjects. I mean, but like the if you don't trust them, whistleblowers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the military men that Fringilla murdered in the last episode were not loyal to Kahir. They were actually kind of suspicious of him when he came back. They were definitely more loyal to Amir the whole time. Yeah, but I think that there's somebody else waiting in the wings who's been reporting to Amir, and we're probably gonna find out about it in the next season. You know who was conspicuously absent from this episode? And somebody we've been talking about this entire time? Who is it, Chris? Vilgefortz. Oh. Who? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right! You know, it is a good point that Vilgefortz is suspiciously absent in this episode. As somebody who has been creeping and lurking and we know has a bad side from previous discussions we've had and i believe they mention him at the end of the episode when tissaia is with like the council of kings and rulers i think they're talking about the Vil- about the vilgeforts he's becoming the rock now <laughs> i think they're talking about vilgeforts and him kind of going rogue but i wasn't sure exactly i thought they were talking about the redanian they were talking about the oh, they were talking about Vizimir. I don't think it's Vilgefortz because in the scene in the last episode where he and Tissaia are like fighting about Siri, it doesn't seem like he really knows that much about her or what her significance is. Like both he and Tissaia seem to be like a little bit um, unaware of what he is going on. So. Was pressuring Tissaia to find out from Triss where she was. Yeah, but I think they also didn't really understand the significance of Siri. Like I they they found out from Triss that Siri has like a special path because of the like weird magic spell that Triss mm-hmm. did with Siri where they've like wandered into her lineage through this hallucination. Here's one thing about it not being Vilgefortz as well. He tried to kill Kahir in season one. Right. 
That's a great cover. You're right. Don't even let your boss know. Try to kill him. <laughs> he, if and lived out the American dream? Yeah. If he's a double agent, he would do whatever was necessary to maintain his cover. He's an undercover. Oh, for Amir. Not even Ka- Yeah. Kahil. Kahir. Kahir. It is this. The, the names are so wacky. What? Why do you think the names are so similar? Van- Vilgefortz and Vengerford and Vilgeford? Vengerford is a character? <laughs> Who is that? Vengerford no. is a place. Vengerford Veng- is okay. a place. Vilgefortz and Vesemir and Vizemir are characters. You could say so many words and I would just be like, <laughs> I, I think I remember that. I remember when we met them. Yeah. That's a wit character (laughs) (laughs) that's a plat a horse but yeah i mean i think that amir found out about the elven baby just from the information that passes throughout the soldiers and i mean everyone knew about the elves we i will say that the scenes in sintra knee nilfgaard or nilfgaard knee sintra have been a little bit shorter than I think they could have been to explain everything. It feels a little bit rushed. Like, all those plots. Sure, but we don't know who Amir had dispatch of the baby. No, we don't know that yet. That's true. Hmm. But yeah, who Amir sent as the actual royal assassin is an interesting question. I think it's gonna be something of a significant point who it is. I agree with Chelsea that it's such a major plot point in this season that it wouldn't just be like, oh, faceless soldier did the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Also, Vilgefortz was pressuring so hard to find out who Siri was and where she was. And then he's suddenly just gone and uh, basically tries to nag to say uh, in deciding with him. He kind of screwed himself. He could have been in charge of the Mages Council if he had played his cards calmly. Wait, where did he go? He just disappeared. Yeah, he disappeared at the end of the, or in the last episode. We haven't seen him since. He Do they stormed say out. That? Do they say like he disappeared? No, just oh, we, we the we audience have not seen, seen him. him but since. then there was a new person on the council this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. There was that new person. I don't know if she's a mage or a leader because she kind of looked like a leader. She looked like she had a crown or something. But um, she I love did. that for her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good look. But she also she was a, a queen. Bit, either way, you slice it. Yeah, she also seemed a bit young and a bit like um, dangerous. Well, yeah. no, I just I just think that she was a bit young and I got the sense that she maybe is a bit inexperienced. She seems new. To say it's kind of like showing her the ropes, it yeah, seems like. Yeah, yeah it just yeah. seems like she's learning how to fill this position. This episode had an issue where it started introducing a bunch of characters yeah. right at the end. Yeah. And it's like... Oh, you should know who all these people are. Yeah. And I know some of the lore that goes on beyond these episodes, like from the games and books. But I don't know who almost any of the characters they introduce right here at the end of this episode are. Yeah. Well, this queen does seem inexperienced, right? And when Tissaia is like, oh, let's put out a bounty on Siri and any of the captors, right? Uh, this new unnamed queen is like, oh, name. that sounds... She had a name? Not in my mind. Uh, she says... It's something like Maeve or Mara Maeve. Or oh, yeah. Maeve says, uh, that's barbaric, even for me, right? And then with, like, 
the implication that normally she's pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, she was the one who was like, uh, you know, Siri was a lot less of a pain in the ass when she was quote-unquote dead, dead yeah. implying yeah. that what she wants is for Siri to die so that she gets out of their hair. And so that's when Taseya says we have to put a bounty on her and anyone protecting her. So they're basically gonna try to have her killed. Bait yeah. for season three. <laughs> Taseya sure is good at killing kids. <laughs> no, a lot of them she just turns in the eels. Yeah, you're right. And I, I like I've said it once, I've said and I'll say it again. Siri would make such a strong eel. Yeah, she could power that fucking uh, electric pipe organ for days. They probably have a permanent open portal. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. The elder eel. The elder eel, it's true. Um, so, in a way, they're continuing the cycle of violence um, yeah. that we've been seeing throughout the whole yeah. series, really. That brings me to the topic that I circled like five times on my notes, <laughs> which is the single- She's even thinking about it. <laughs> uh, uh, I, right I circled vengeance, but um, it's, you know, overall, the show in general always talks about the cycle of hatred and violence yes. and yeah. how it perpetuates more of itself and pain and, and we, suffering yeah and we need to break that cycle by the witchers even kindness. temporarily break that cycle for like the end of this episode before they inevitably start going into homicide mode next season again yeah carol's like wait guys maybe for the first time ever we don't solve this with our swords yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's not true Geralt solved a lot of problems without his swords it did seem like everybody else was really sword happy. And, yeah. And Geralt was the only... So I think I think that's kind of the main example of this, like, let's break the cycle of hatred and violence, is the scene where we see uh, Ciri is uh, possessed and she's kind of, like, wrecking and She's already killed two witchers. And uh, Vesemir is like, let's fucking kill her. Like, yeah. just forget it. And, I don't care if she is my granddaughter. We're yeah, doing this. Yeah, and he's mad about everyone who has died uh, th- this night, but also like everyone who has died like within the last couple of months since Siri's been there. Well, and symbolically, Siri is standing at their tree with all the hanging medallions of the fallen witchers. Yeah. Like, for Vesemir, this is the full encapsulation of all of his fears and past trauma of losing. Yeah. His family, like yeah. everyone he loves, he had this, clearly he had this gigantic family because there's so many pendants hanging from the tree. Yeah. And then now they're down to, what, five of them? Yeah. And she's just popping them off right and left. Yeah. Like, I know. She's just clearing them out to the point where I'm like, are we going to have any witchers left? Yeah. Well, there's five of them left because we saw at least four or five die this yeah. episode. Yeah. Two of them get killed by basilisks. Yeah. Until Geralt solos the super strong basilisk yeah. with no fucking problem. <laughs> he is a super witcher. He is. Yeah, I know. But I think we see... Geralt like say at a certain point in in the battle like wait we can't fight this with weapons like we have to like right our wrongs and we have to um you know like resolve this instead uh of with violence which is what the deathless mother feeds on she feeds on like pain and vengeance and uh you know desperation 
he's like, we need to flip the script here and take a more like positive approach. And I like how the moment that Geralt realizes that they need to kind of let go of their hatred is right after Volodymyr says, oh, so witchers do feel, you feel hatred. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of, we, we've talked about it like up to this point multiple times, but like we know that the witchers are not emotionless like everybody says they are. This is just another confirmation of that, but it ties back to that yeah. mythology about the witchers. And Jaskier, though he is a bumbling buffoon, did scream to Geralt amongst all the chaos about the red Jasper and how it can right a wrong. And I think that is what helped Geralt think along the right terms, too. So Jaskier, even though he's mostly ineffectual, still helped a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) He sings good songs. (laughs) And I think, too, like, even in this episode, the witch is, uh, the Deathless Mother is going around killing for vengeance. Like, she... She was interred and, uh, you know, for for eons by witchers originally, like, forever ago. And she, once she finally breaks free, she's like, cool, I'm gonna go around and kill a bunch of witchers because you have trapped me and I see you as a threat and I want to exact revenge. One thing that I didn't quite get about when Yen was sacri- thought she was sacrificing herself for Ciri and was... um. Pulling the deathless mother into her through the uh, blood ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, she was speaking a spell in Elder, but she didn't have her magic back yet. So how was she compelling the deathless mother to switch over? It probably is some kind of just latent magic in the world. She had concocted a alchemical my guess, potion. My guess is less that and more to do with this whole like vengeance construct basically she does say something and i think we missed it we wanted to re-listen to it and we didn't but i think there's also like the deathless mother thrives on like pain and agony and this is like she tells yen like you'll get what you want um but you just have to give me this thing first and yen fulfills that end of the bargain she she whether intentionally or not gives the deathless mother siri Um, And then she very selflessly, uh, like, attempts to sacrifice herself, which is very much like the antithesis of the Deathless Mother. But it's also kind of fulfilling her contract. I just realized. Yeah, Yeah. she she is basically fulfilling her contract. I will say that I am lightsabering this super hard because I'm not entirely sure how the fuck that happened. But I could theoretically see how that could be why she's able to do that magic, that binding magic. Yeah, because just as the Deathless Mother is still linked to Francesca, as we see she's Mm -hmm. getting power from what Francesca is doing, she must still be linked to Yennefer as well. Yeah. So her selfless act probably weakened. Well, she's linked to Francesca, Francilla, (laughs) Francesca, Francilla, and Yennefer. Well, we should also point out that Part of that binding ritual that Yennefer did involved her losing a lot of blood. Yes. So that could have been part of it. And I think Yen probably has some amount of elder blood, too. She does. She's part elven, yeah. Yeah. So she has some latent magic to her. That's true. It's kind of like a, a core elementary kind of magic. She is chaos. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, but they definitely imply a lot through this episode that, like, the way to kind of counteract the Deathless Mother is by breaking that, like, vengeance cycle. And I think that might also be a part of it, too. Maybe she, like, is trying to, instead of just do this constant, like, I need things, I want things, I how do I take, 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 you know, like, oh, I'm going to give something, and that's, like, not playing into the Deathless Mother's, uh, I guess, like, um, strategy or tactics. Well, Jack pointed out in the episode that the Deathless Mother seems to come from a realm of bad vibes. So you <laughs> just got to counter her with good vibes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And Casey, like you were talking about, Geralt basically lays out this shift kind of plainly for us. Like, we have to end this cycle of hatred. We have to choose love over hate, basically. I am bummed that he says that and then they all do this like Siri, we love you. Siri, come back to us. And then he's like, it's not working. And I was like, I feel like you're kind of going against everything you've been trying to tell us with this story. Like, he's like, we need to find a vessel for her. But I was like, I don't know. I feel like that just should have (laughs) worked. Well, I mean, I think that we're not done with all that yet. I'm assuming that there's going to be some fallout from what Yen did and possibly some issues related to her accepting the Deathless Mother's energy to some extent. You know, if Yennefer is fully healed and all of her wounds were healed and she got her magic back, it's possible that she has other things that were healed and she just doesn't realize it yet. Do you think Yen can have kids now? Possibly. Oh, God. God, that makes so much sense, though, actually. I kind of don't want her to be able to though like just i just feel like yennefer has not done enough to really make up for all of the shitty things that she's done i like i know that we talked about in this season that there was a lot of conversation around like new purpose and like finding a new sense of direction this has been an ongoing thing for yennefer and she says, like, oh, I feel a new sense of purpose because Siri, uh, like, when I was training her, I felt so, like, good about training her. Um, <laughs> I felt like I had a sense of purpose and direction. Yeah. Like, I no longer needed to, like, do things for me. I could do things for her. Um, I mean, the show is situating a father-mother-daughter relationship between Geralt, Yennefer, and Siri. Yeah, but I think, like... The thing I find kind of frustrating is, like, she had that experience for, like, a whopping 24 hours, and now she's like, I found my purpose! And I'm like, I don't know, I've seen you flip-flop on shit in, like, you know, over, in way shorter time periods than that. And so I mean, I w- story arcs in this season have been f- fast. They were slow until they were fast. Yeah. And you know what felt unfair? When Siri is sitting on the bridge after the fight and Geralt and Yennefer go out there, it's like, oh, it's the whole family is there. But Yaskier's not there. Oh, I agree. The cool uncle. He and Siri haven't had interactions, but Geralt and Yen, he's right there with them. Uh, He should have been there. He was trying his hardest to help. And then he was just, mm-hmm. like, hiding under a table, and then he doesn't get his, like, redemption no, moment. No, it yeah. was like, this is Geralt, my dad, Yennefer, my dad's wife, and Yaskir, <laughs> my dad's bo- husband. <laughs> I feel like one of my biggest complaints with the show is just that, like, there are so many great characters, but everyone is playing the 
like Geralt and Yen are the stars of the show game and they'll like just kind of slot themselves into the background and like that's not necessarily satisfying when there's such a great cast of characters who could be interacting. Like Jack said, we've barely seen Yaskier and Siri, and they like had this whole trip back to Care Morin together. Yeah. It's But I, did they? They should have at least had a scene where Yaskier is like, I I would come sit with you, but I was so scared I peed and pooped my pants <laughs> under the table and now I <laughs> Because that's basically how they framed it. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I'll just take Moriaskier at any point. I yeah. love him so much. Me too. My point was just before that uh, he wasn't really writing back to Kara Morin with Siri. No, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. For like the first five minutes, sure, but then Maybe. it was Voleth Mir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I now now it's scary. That makes sense. <laughs> it's hard to know exactly the process. It seems like there was maybe a little like settling in period for Voleth Mir. Maybe. <laughs> Let's see what we're working with in this thing. Yeah. This head here. Yeah, you gotta learn how to drive a new car, right? That makes so. sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the process of being able to choose love over hate is the act of forgiveness, which is kind of a decision all of the characters made um, at different points. Like, um, well, Geralt straight up says, "I don't forgive you again." <laughs> yeah, but I know, I know. But what you then mean. he's like, "But I'm going to give you another chance." <laughs> I, yeah, he is going to give her another chance, but specifically in terms of the cycle of hatred or violence, like Vesemir and Geralt. He, he's talking to Vesemir about um, basically not holding Siri accountable because it's not her. Yeah. And right. basically, like, forgive her for killing our friends because it wasn't her. It was Volod <laughs> Mir who did all of the bad things. Yeah. And um, Francesca also forgives Dara because she recognized that he was trying to survive. Yeah. So we see Dara informing. Uh, Francesca and Dara, Dara informing Francesca and Philavendral that like he was basically a spy for Redania and you know he apologizes to them because he says like I thought that I was spying on Nilfgaard I didn't realize that like the elves would get hurt in this and she says to him it's okay like you were in jail and you were just trying to like save yourself and that's a good thing and yeah. like she doesn't seem to be mad at him which is really surprising um, because yes. in, I think a lot of people in that moment would be like, this is all your fault. I'm going to kill you. I, I yeah. think that, so Francesca has just gone through a horrendous trauma of losing her newborn child. And it would be easy for her to be mad enough at Dara to lash out at him. But yeah. I think her, her whole goal in life is to have elves have a chance at not just getting revenge but getting revenge is a big part of it but like thriving again yeah and that's she's, what i was thinking not just surviving yeah, yeah but so she's because dara's an elf i think mm -hmm. she's much more willing to forgive him unless yeah. she has other machinations which is yeah. possible but i think genuinely she understands what a terrible situation dara was put in yeah. I mean, she entrusts him right away, asking him to secure some horses for them and come along with them on their journey. Like, yeah, it's a show of faith. It's it's like yeah. too, a performative thing to show him. Like, yeah. I still trust you in this. Yeah, 
But while she is able to forgive him, she is absolutely not able to forgive Redania. So much so that she goes to Redania and kills, like, every child in Redania. Yeah, that's true. Seems like it, And then at the end of the episode, when they're like, okay, we did it, like, we killed all their babies, can we go home now? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not here just to exact revenge. I base. She says I'm here for justice, but, like... Uh, but sometimes I, justice is just really big revenge. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. I feel like it's just really big revenge. And also, it sounds like she's, like, planning to just wipe out Redania. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're situating a war where Redania, Nilfgaard, and the elves are in a, like, trifecta of battle. It's true. Francesca is killing peasants' children, right? Mm-hmm. And not just yeah. children, but, like, babies. Who really haven't had a chance to do anything bad to the elves. Mm -hmm. Right. She's using the babies as a tool to punish the adults, which is how she feels she's been treated. Yeah. But it's horrendous, of course. Yeah. Yeah, She's she's not gone after the people who did it to her yet. And the scene is a very biblical scene. That's what I was thinking, too. Because we see her, the leader of the elves, who feels really like... Uh, allegorical to Moses. Uh, of course, it's the story from Metallica's song Creeping Death. Yes. I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, she's going around uh, as, like, the leader of an oppressed people and marking... She She puts her hand on the door and creates, like, a sigil on the door that then, like, gets transferred onto the child that's within the house um and then the kid dies the baby dies um and they're going around like to every door like door to door and it yeah. feels very uh analogous to the plague of like the death of the firstborn child passover passover yeah yeah and so it feels it feels very biblical but i it's also weird because that story is is a vengeance story as well um and it's being told through the perspective of like this is a justified vengeance, but the overall story of of the Witcher is that like perpetuating violence is is actually not justified. It's just endless violence. Yeah, yeah, and we can see how that is actually toxic because yeah, all besides the horrendous act itself, yeah. It's feeding Volith Mir. Yeah. Yes. And making yes. her Great more point. powerful. Yeah. And it's almost as if Francesca is still being compelled by her to continue the cycle. Maybe. I'm not sure. But we do see, like, when she, like, drops her hands, and that's the motion she uses to, like, kill all of the children with the sigils on them simultaneously, we see, like, Volith Mir and Siri look, like, extra amped up. Yeah. And yeah. That's when we were like, oh, fuck! Yeah. Oh, shit, there's still a connection there, and she's basically fueling her. Yeah. I mean, I think Francesca is just a willing servant of the Deathless Mother. Yeah, and like, we saw okay. her be a willing servant of the Deathless Mother when she first met her. Like yeah. she seemed to be like, You're Ithilene, right? And yeah. it was just like, Great, let's do this. She's like, the I'm only down. one who has like no hesitation. Yeah. Well, yeah, her name is Voleth Mir. That's an elven name. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's a pal. It's also interesting because Voleth Mir comes to her in the form of one of her gods. Yep. Yes. In like you know, uh, in this moment in the woods, in like right. a, a, it's it is very biblical. It's like yeah. 
not she doesn't come to her as a burning bush, but it is a similar like I'm here as your god telling you that you need to do this and you're gonna have to make a lot of sacrifices. She's a but prophet. it'll be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good point that she, Volodymyr really made the strongest pitch to Francesca coming as Ithilene. Yeah. Because going to Fringilla as Amir. Amir Fringilla was already kind of like feeling a little dicey about that. And then going to Yennefer as Siri, she didn't even know. Oh, she Ciri. she went to Yennefer as uh Tessaia. Young Tessaia. Yeah. Oh, was it young Tessaia? I yeah, but then she says as... later, like she came to me as a young version of myself, and I thought she was she was a young Tessaia because she calls her Piglet. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But maybe it was a young version of herself. It might have been, yeah. She might have I mean, I think that's some um harmful self talk. Yeah. yeah. Which does seem like something uh, oh, it's so on brand for Yen. Yeah, it's clear she you. hates herself. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, she made the strongest case going to Francesca as a god. A god, and Francesca god. was just like ready to eat that up instantly. Like, oh, yeah. oh, revenge? Fuck yeah, I love revenge. Revenge well, is my favorite thing. That's who she went to the hut assuming to see. Yeah, yeah she already had it in her mind that that's what she was going to see. And I don't think that um, she was even, that the Deathless Mother said to her, like, oh, you're going to get revenge. What she said to her is, you're going to, like, build up your... You're going to lead your people. Yeah, you're going to lead your people. So she actually doesn't even present to her the option of vengeance. I think uh, largely that Francesca kind of ends up doing that of her own accord. Oh, yeah. Is Francesca's brother, like, dead? I don't know. He was there in this episode when they were back in the forest. Okay. Okay. He's one of the ones trying to drag Istrid away. Got it. Not actually physically, like he's leading the men. Oh, that's it. right. I remember him there now. He was like standing in front of them. So I got to ask you guys, and uh, you don't have to tell me since I know you know a little bit more than I do, but um, because I was like, oh, there's so much vengeance in this. And we see that Amir has shown up at Sintra uh, and we learned that Sintra or well, Nilfgaard. mini Nilfgaard, <laughs> Nilfgaard yeah. light. Um, so- and he's like out here going around taking cities and killing people and shit in the name of trying to find his daughter, Siri. Yeah. Um, it's what she would want. And I'm like, do you need to be killing Centrians? Like, that was the thing. Like, when Amir, <laughs> as the leader of Nilfgaard, ordered the attack on Sintra. Yes. And I don't know why he would order an attack. I would assume that because. To get Siri. Yes, but he knows Siri and he knows Siri's grandmother. Mm-hmm. He could ostensibly just walk in and be like, hey, it's me, guys. I want my daughter. But there must be something else there that prohibits him from being able to just waltz in the door and just be like, well, it's your I think dad. It's, I think it's because he's been like leading Nilfgaard through a campaign of conquest up to that point, building strength. Like, he can't do that because he's too notorious at this point. But why is he doing it? He's doing it to get Siri, And why does he need to do that to get Siri? But he's also trying to expand his empire. Yeah, but Casey's saying, why is he even doing that at all? It's because he knows that Queen Calanthe didn't respect Nilfgaard, and he took over as the rightful heir to Nilfgaard. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he didn't think she would respect him getting his request to get his daughter back. Yeah. So he she just, did hate him for the most part. Yeah. So she, he just thought he would take it her back by force. Yeah, but I, I just think it's interesting. We don't really get a chance to see that thought process or that like you know. We haven't seen much of his motivation beyond get Siri. <laughs> yeah. It's like- and conquer the whole nation it's like when you uh want something from someone but you think they won't give it to you so you surprise attack them (laughs) (laughs) better to ask for forgiveness than permission his desire (laughs) his desire to be an expansionist makes me wonder if that desire is coming from his desire to find his daughter or to like be able to like i don't know for sure if his desire to like expand his empire is purely out of an expansionist need so so just to be uh my my guess is that his desire to find siri is nothing to do with being a loving father she she is a means to an end he knows how powerful she is and what her power could do for him he knows that her mother had that power yeah and he assumes that she does but i have no reason to assume that dooney is a bad guy well, he's the king of Nilfgaard, and Nilfgaard sucks. But that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> no, it's because he he's been... He was a really good guy. He was, but then he started murdering then a ton he, of people. Then he became the leader of a death cult. Yeah. <laughs> but w- I'm just saying, we what the fuck happened in between here uh, and there? I see what you mean. Yeah, I have no idea. It probably has something to do with the usurper in Nilfgaard that he killed and took the place of, right? Because it sounds like the usurper was running Nilfgaard under a really cruel regime. Yes. Yeah. And after Dooney, like, shipwrecked and went back to Nilfgaard, I imagine he had pretty bad vibes over there. I just, I don't know how he could go from being this, like, very honorable, valiant knight who, like, you know, doesn't seem like a bad dude at all. Being, like, an evil expansionist dictator who murders babies. He was nicer as Sonic. Yeah, <laughs> we are missing a lot in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pavetta doesn't seem to be around, so she died. Yeah, I well, mean, we know that there was supposed to be a shipwreck that killed both Siri's parents, yeah. but obviously not both of them. Yeah, and so I'm just I'm just wondering if his incentive to attack Queen Calanthea is not just because like oh she won't tell me where my daughter is or she won't give me my daughter, but out of like of revenge i wonder if there is a revenge angle there Probably. because because calanthe was like so distrusting of him and like despised him and i i wonder if you know you're saying like oh well he wants to take her by force because he doesn't think that she'll give up his daughter but i'm wondering if he wants to take her by force because he's like fuck you i mean it's probably a little bit of both he, he clearly has his eye set on World domination. Yeah. Or at least continent domination. I still am not... It's not clearly clear to me yet. Because I don't know anything about his motives. I need to know his motives. Before probably, no, but he, is, he has been conquering his way through the entire land. Uh, I wanted to share one little tidbit, too. Just a neat piece of cinematography um, that I noticed. So when Siri was in her like dreamlike illusion... Being back in her Sintrin home. Um, when her mother is disappearing and turning to dust and she turns away and starts walking away and says, I have to go home. 
her father never disappears into dust and he's looming like a dark shadow as a silhouette over her left shoulder hmm. in the shot as oh, she's wow. walking away. Nice. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Good filmmaking. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. A little <laughs> illusion, Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty good. So, I mean, hopefully we'll find out more about the specific motivations that Nilfgaard has in the upcoming season. But definitely so far, it seems like a lot of it is kind of this revenge that we've been talking about for the fact that Nilfgaard has been under the boot of every other nation for so long. And, like, they're always kind of the the whipping boys of... The shitting... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. of the na- of the continent and the everything. The shitting post? Yeah. <laughs> the shitting post, yeah. So, I mean, I think there is an element where Amir has been able to stir up a lot of nationalistic pride because now there's a chance for Nilfgaard to rise up and kind of crush the people who have been crushing them for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with the reveal of Amir and he's in town... Um, the boy is back in town. I think that we're probably going to get more information. I am, yeah, yeah I'm, in the I'm next really season. hoping for it because I, I just want to know like how we got from point A to point B, and what is the true motive behind everything. And but also, it seems like royals and the Witcher just love to expand. Like everybody wants to be doing what Amir is doing. He's just. They've said in previous episodes, like. Every nation goes through these cycles. It's right, yeah. This is just Nilfgaard's turn to be the ones, like, wearing the boot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they say that in one of, like, the mage councils or something. I'm interested to see how, when he and Geralt eventually meet up, what's going to happen there. Because Geralt saved his life. He kind of owes a... That's true. No, he doesn't owe a life debt, though. Because he got Siri, no, but, but he's kind but, of coming back yeah, on a life debt. Like he should, uh, he should at least have some like respect or reverence. And it's like daddy, daddy Duke out. Yeah, you yeah, know? like real dad, fake dad. You know, you're not my real dad, Emir. Geralt's my dad now. Yeah, that's my Siri impersonation. But yeah, hopefully more will be answered in season three. Let's let it happen right now. I'm ready for season three to start. <laughs> I know. Damn it. <laughs> I I do predict that in season three, one thing they might start with in the first episode is a flashback for Amir. Oh, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They might fucking start out the season that way. You know who we have still no fucking clue who they are or why they're here? The Fire Mage. Yeah. Right. And the, yeah. And the, the woman Lydia. that hired him. like. And they're hired by somebody. We, we don't know who the fuck that person we is. We only see their Harvey silhouette. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. We, we get no reveal Oh, I, I missed that even. They get very uh, unresolved. They, they just like peppered them into the episode to be like, remember, these guys are here. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't quite Warrior Nun, but I didn't like how they're just like planting all these seeds for unresolved yeah. stories at the end of this yeah. episode. Jack just took psychic damage at the mention of Warrior Nun. <laughs> I just, why did they do this? You'll feel better when we cover season two of Warrior Nun. If oh. season two doesn't start with that good fight, like if they decide to run away and not fight, I'm gonna shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's gonna happen. I'm so sorry. I don't want That's this. what's gonna happen. I want to talk a little bit about Siri's vision before we move on. 
Because I think that that was a really interesting scene because we were getting to see this kind of perfect fantasy for Siri, which is exactly what she wants in so many ways. We know that even though she is developing this bond with Geralt, she wants more than anything to kind of be able to go back and go back to her old life. This new life is very challenging for her. Understandably, she is a teenage girl who is used to living in a palace, who's kind of been thrown this season into going on adventures that she's she's enjoying, I think, training and learning to be a warrior, but she's holding so much pain inside of herself. It's very understandable why she has this vision that Volodymyr puts her in that is so comforting to her, that she's just ready to lose herself in. She has a lot of unexamined trauma and she's just been trying to move on to the next thing so that she doesn't have to feel that pain anymore. And that's what makes her vulnerable to Volithmir. And I thought to that was this, really interesting. Yeah, and that's what makes her vulnerable to this illusion and being content to live in it even though she has a clue that it's probably an illusion. Yeah, she's like kind of got that look like, ah, I know this isn't quite right, but, you know, it feels good, so let's stick with it. It's true. She is much more susceptible because of those reasons. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. What I got from that scene more than anything was a demonstration of series character development. Because when she was a princess living in the castle, she was, you know, a little bit of like, uh... I don't want to say an uncultured brat, but um, she was angsty. She she just she didn't know any better and she didn't value the things around her for what they are. And you see her in this fantasy that's conjured for her where she she sees Mousak and realizes he's real. And and she's like just like broken almost by it. And, And you see her interact with her her grandmother and all of a sudden she's being like, She's doing all the things her grandmother asked her to do. She's like, okay, I'll be like the good proper daughter and like her yeah. granddaughter and like I love you and I'll like dance with the guy even though I don't really want to because she's she's grown and she understands that a lot of what people did for her was out of love. And it must yeah. really hurt that her grandfather won't even look at her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what? He, they, like, couldn't get the actor back or something, oh, so he's, he's oh, he oh. was always facing away. Oh, oh. It was just the back of a guy's <laughs> head with short brown hair wearing ice yeah. tunic. Or it was that arrow that hit him in the face. The actor just didn't look the same. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. Good yeah. point. But I think it's interesting because, like, I complained in season one how fucking insufferable Siri was. She was so entitled. She was so arrogant. She never considered other people's feelings or needs. She never considered anything. She just, like, lived in her own head. And we've seen her grow so much over the she course of the She got torn down seasons. in season one. She yeah. did. And she, I mean, even more so in season two because, like, she was like, fuck, even though I finally found quote-unquote safety... I am still constantly at the threat of like being attacked. Like she's, yeah. she realized in season two, like there will never be safety. Like right. she was on a quest for it and thought she found it. And it's like, no, you're not getting anything of your old life back. Right. Season two, she had some ups and downs and I think it's going to be like that again, but she's, I think she's starting to at least come into her sense of self. Now. Yeah. But even as her the way was made for her to find an escape from the illusion, 
she was simultaneously choosing to come out of it because she heard all the support from all the witchers saying that she was they were her family and that they they loved her and wanted her to be around like eventually since they didn't relent like that broke through the illusion and she felt that love and belonging from them and that's what drew her back yeah the illusion starts to dissipate and she's like oh yeah like i do need to she says to her parents like i need to go or whatever i need to go home home. yeah 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 I like that. That's kind of her accepting that she's going to have to live in the harsh reality. Yeah. But there are things, people like Geralt, maybe Yennefer in the future, we'll see, who can be a comfort for her the way that Calanthe once was. It is very much like a metaphor for like accepting reality because it's not a metaphor. It's literally what she has to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's a very literal metaphor. (laughs) When I initially saw the scene, I thought maybe like, she might also be getting some sort of like cathartic um, closure. Yes. To a lot of the loss that she's experienced um, because she hasn't seen these people. A lot of these people died. and Or she thought died. Yeah, or she thought died. Um, but she's getting a chance to like interact with Mausak and like be grateful to her grandmother and, you know, like express her love and gratitude to, to the people that she cares about. And I'm hoping that that's a form of closure for her that allows her to maybe let go of some of her, like, desperate desire for vengeance. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I feel like we could probably talk about this whole episode on its own for so much longer, but we should probably wrap it up and head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this season of The Witcher after we share our final thoughts about the season as a whole. Casey, as our guest Witcher correspondent, do you want to go first by telling us your final thoughts for the season and then giving us a rating from 1 to 10 Silver Swords? Sure. Uh, So... I overall have really, really enjoyed this season. I think it was a lot stronger than season one. Um, and I love all of the monsters in it. I think there's a lot of character development for a lot of our characters, which was really fun to see. I'm a, a big fan of character development. Um, I will say that some parts felt a little bit like gratuitous uh, in that like, there were a lot of characters this season like way more than last season to the point where it was getting a little bit hard to keep track of everybody and not everybody got as much time as they needed to fill out their narrative thank god everyone had very distinct names yeah totally (laughs) um yeah we just got like a, a my my only criticism of this season is just that we ended up getting like maybe too many characters and like too many side plots um, and like they literally introduced some characters in the last episode, which I don't think is a good strategy for any TV show. I can think of at least three characters introduced just in the last episode yeah. and like five characters who have been important this season, but only for like two scenes. Yeah. Like, and when I say like introduced, I mean like not revealed like Dooney slash Amir was, but straight up introduced. We do not know who they were. And we suddenly uncover them in this episode. Now, I guess one of those characters is Philippa, but we have seen her throughout the season, only in her 
owl form. Owl form. Yeah. <laughs> in her David Bowie form. Yeah. But overall, I still really enjoyed this season. I think the writing got so much fucking better. Also, like, season one, there was a lot of lack of clarity. I think the writing was a little weird. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yuck. Yeah, the, the, just like the writing was confusing sometimes. There would be scenes where you're like, wait, did that happen on screen? I don't remember seeing that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like it just, it was a little bit sloppy. And I feel like they really tightened it up. And yeah. Siri, the actress who plays Siri is phenomenal. I don't know if they knew what they were getting when they hired her for season one, but... She has proven to be an absolutely incredible actress capable of a lot of range. Yeah. And I'm just, like, amazed at her talent. So, Same. Yeah. Um, a rating for the season overall. I'm a big fan of never using the number seven, too. That's, like, a, a thing in my house where I'll ask, like, what's your rating for something? Can't use seven. Really? Yes. Yeah, so this is going to get an eight. I would have put it at a seven, but I was like, we got to pick. It's either a six or an eight. <laughs> it's an eight. Okay, nice. that's a solid rating. Eight yeah, out of eight, ten. eight silver swords. Yeah, eight yeah, out of yeah, ten yeah, silver yeah. swords, yeah. I'll have to ask you later about the seven thing. <laughs> like where it came from? Yeah. Oh. All right, how about you, Jack? Do you want to tell us your final thoughts for the season and then give us a rating between one and ten silver swords? Yeah, I think I ought to do just that. Well, I'm going to have to agree. The first half of the season, I was pretty dazzled by Kara Morin. I'll tell you oh, what. Yeah. And just sort of like reveling in the dynamic between Geralt and Ciri, I thought that was so cool. And the season started off so strong. And I haven't been interested in Redania at any point in the season. <laughs> Same. I'm like, yeah. the best thing that ever came out of Redania was Dara. And the owl was cool, but now the owl, we learned, is a character with their own name. And I just don't know if that was... <laughs> and I now do not care. It's like suddenly I suddenly I have a headache. And, uh, and there's just... Oh, there's just so many characters, like we're saying. Mm -hmm. And it is actively subtracting from the characters I want more time with. Yeah. I was saying that Geralt feels like a side character <laughs> in the second half of this season. For sure. Me. Yeah. In the first half, it's like, hey, Geralt and Siri, yay, now we're meeting Geralt's family. Oh, we're seeing a lot less of him. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, he's barely there. The Witcher, more like the Witcher, this character is we gonna follow. It feels like... It sort of feels like... In this episode, he could have just been the ending narrator that's like, and the moral of the episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 That is what we got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, the show is kind of like called The Witcher. I would really like more focus on Geralt and just his dynamics. Like, I, if I want medieval fantasy politics, I'll watch Game of Thrones. And I didn't watch it because I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I, liked, I liked what the show was about, and I think the first half of the season stayed really true to that, but it's getting a little wonky. It's a little, like, too much. We praised the early part of the season for not being Game of Thrones. And by the end, to me, it felt like it became that, yeah. unfortunately. Mm, yeah. So, uh, it lost a couple points. I'm probably going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. I like this series so much, but it got real messy. And so I'm probably going to give it 
a seven silver swords. Oh, shit. I feel like you did that in spite of me. <laughs> well, it was going to be an eight, but then when you said eight, you were giving it an eight, I, I, my first reaction was, it doesn't deserve an eight. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This, uh, uh, I feel like I'm noticing a theme in Swords and Satire where at the last second where I have to rate it, I'm like, you know what? It pissed me off a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I really like this. Wait, no. Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mostly liked it. Well, that's good, though. You're you're uncovering your true feelings about something through this process. Yeah. I yeah, but I, but I really need to find a slam dunk for Jack coming up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I love The Witcher. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to consume everything it puts out, probably. Seven out of ten. Got a little wacky. <laughs> that's fair. Valid. All right, Chelsea. Why don't you give us your final thoughts for the season and then a rating from one to ten silver swords. You know, let me take a moment to explain myself and then I'll get to a number. Chelsea, one out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, explain yourself. <laughs> so, I agree with Casey that th- this season has better character development than the first one. And I really enjoyed that, um, despite the fact that we were introduced to more and more characters. I was enjoying the exploration of all the characters and their relationships to one another. That was cool. And I've really enjoyed the friendship between Francesca and Frangilla. Yeah. So I'm pissed yeah. that they broke that up so soon. I know. And yeah, I, I don't actually know if we're gonna get that back feel like the deeper we got into the season, the less consistent characters felt. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Especially those two. I agree. Mm -hmm. They start to feel like they break mold a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't feel like they have consistent motivations or behaviors. Mm -hmm. And Fringilla could have had a pretty solid arc, and it seemed like they were going for it, but instead of her... Claiming her right to rule and taking on the full mantle that everybody around her kind of already assumed that she had as their leader. She still looked to Kahir to back her up and then leaned on that relationship rather than trying to lift up Francesca during her time of need. If she had gone to her, she might have convinced her to stay. I think the sad irony is that it was all for naught since Amir mm-hmm. basically sees through their shit and is just having them thrown in prison. The whole idea that the elves and Fringilla would have gotten into Sintra if the generals didn't support Fringilla is ridiculous. And I'm realizing that right now. So that annoyed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If they didn't support her, they wouldn't have fucking let her back in. Or they would have let her in and kept the elves out. So, um, I think that that doesn't hold up to me. But anyway, I think early on, I think this would have gotten an 8 or a 9. But I've kind of, in the last episode or two, it's kind of dwindled down to a 6 for me. Oh, damn. Yeah. I think they kind of shit the bed on the ending a little bit. That's a steep drop. (laughs) 
But I still love the series. I'm going to watch the next season. I am hooked. I recommend people watch this because it's a lot of fun. Chelsea's not mad. She's just disappointed. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I totally recommend people watch it. And I'm going to see it again. (laughs) So I'll just pick it apart even more. (laughs) But that's what we do here. (laughs) Next time it's going to be a perfect 10. You're going to realize you love it. Then you're going to watch it again. It's going to be a four. (laughs) (laughs) It is very subjective. But what about you, Jamie? What are your final thoughts about the season and your rating out of 1 to 10 Silver Swords, which I don't think I said about mine? Yeah, tell us, Jamie. (laughs) I'm going to tell you. So here's where I'm at. I believe that I agree with pretty much all of your guys' points. As far as the writing of the season, much stronger overall. They throw a lot of information at you. And they introduced so many characters that it feels like they did not have time to tell enough of the story of each of those characters to give them space to feel like characters. Do you mean well-rounded characters? I mean that the characters feel like they are kind of just... Some of the side characters feel like they are these really important like pawns that just kind mm, of yeah. filter out some information, but yeah. then don't really have much life beyond that because we don't get much of them. In season one, I feel like we got fewer characters and more about each of them. Mm-hmm. And this season it went the opposite direction. Throw in a bunch of new characters, but only get little tiny spots with each of them and try to split it out mm-hmm. between like multiple episodes instead of kind of wrapping up whole plots like they did in season one. And, and you know, also Jack's point that we have gone from stories about fighting fun monsters and like kind of learning about Geralt's life and everything from season one to like some cool stuff at the beginning of the season to now, Oh, it's all political intrigue. And I know that the Witcher is a lot about political intrigue for me. Season one handled a lot of those intrigue moments better, but the writing in this season is so much better than it was in season one. So it's this really, kind of seesaw effect of there's so much from both seasons I like for different reasons. I'm hoping that they find the nice middle path in season three that goes back to telling fun, cool monster stories while also filling in the world and giving it this life of interesting characters and dynamics and like reasons for people to be doing things and doesn't just like introduce a character like Dijkstra who's clearly supposed to be important and he gets like five minutes of screen time. And he's a great actor. Yeah, I love Graham McTavish. But it just doesn't feel like he did anything in this season beyond just like being introduced as magical spy master. That's really cool. Maybe wait to introduce him until season three if he's really important to the Witcher plots. Like, they're already making changes from the source material. So hold off on introducing some of these characters until there's time to give them room to breathe. And, you know, in lieu of doing what they did last season, which was a lot of time jumping, in these last two episodes of this season, they just did a bunch of jumping between characters rather than, like, finishing, like, Geralt's story and, like, the Nilfgaard story. Instead of, like, completing each 
part, they did a bunch of cuts between them throughout the episode. And it was almost more disorienting to me personally than the time jumping that we saw in season one. Hmm. That's not a good thing. <laughs> I feel like I, I was able to piece together the timeline in season one. I could totally do it with season two, but it just feels like they were trying to cram in so much in these last few episodes I don't usually say this, but I think they needed, like, a ninth episode for this season. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It almost felt like they wrote, like, episodes one through six. And yes. they wrote them and they were like, this is great. And then they were like, shit, we have two more episodes yeah. left. Fuck, okay, we've just got to, like, real quick get all this shit in. You're so right. And yeah. that's when it starts to feel rushed and characters start to do things that feel a little bit atypical or off the beaten path that feel Or like, out of nowhere. Yeah, and you're like, wait, where did this come from? And it's like, I get that there was, like the seeds were planted for this, but it feels very abrupt that all of this is happening at the same time. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It feels like we're missing a lot of connective tissue between how a character gets to, like, point A to point B we saw, but then point B to point D feels like what we get at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just, like, feels like we missed that point C for a lot of the characters yeah, where it's like yeah. they were on a path and then suddenly they're just randomly there and we yeah. don't see kind of their moving into that space. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to end on just quibbling though. I think the writing was excellent. I think the actors are really slotting into their roles. The world building is still really good. I think the characters are more compelling than they have been or that they than they were in season 1. Everything is better in so many ways. There's just a few little things that I I hope that they're still kind of working out some of the way that they're telling this complex story. I hope that they're able to bring those threads together more in the next season yeah. where you know, do it. You know what? Why not? Do a whole episode that doesn't have Geralt. Focus on the elves. For a whole episode. Why not? Jack's like, what? Absolutely not. I want the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or do like half of an episode that's Geralt's story and finish that. And then the next half is the elves or vice versa. You probably start with the elves and then at the halfway point, jump to Geralt. Something like that. I mean, something where it feels like the perspective isn't jumping around so much. But anyways, all of that aside, I'm giving this season... Nine out of ten silver Nice! Wow. <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. I was so excited. Waiting a few weeks between episodes to watch them and talk about them on the show. Sometimes was just brutal. A lot of times we would finish watching one. I'd be like, let's just watch another one after we record. <laughs> I was captivated and I wanted to know what was going to happen next. Pretty much at every point. Yeah. At, at every end of an episode, I wanted to know the next thing. And it was successful because I still want that. I want to know what's going to happen in season three. And I want it sooner rather than later. So yeah, uh, nine out of ten Silver Swords for me. I really enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to the next season. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. We'd like to thank you all for joining us here as we wrapped up season two of our favorite show, The Witcher. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, which is called Swords and Satire, 
You can follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you do that, you'll be able to keep up with the show, see the memes we post every week about our episodes, and it's a great way to get in touch with us if you want to share your opinions about what we do here or the shows we watch and the movies we cover. And if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and pick one of our tiers and uh, support the show. We would really appreciate it. You get cool perks like bonus episodes and you can vote on the movies we watch each month. That's right. Very awesome. But if you don't have a few extra coins to toss toward your favorite podcasters, another great way you can support the show is by sharing it with your own chosen family, just like the Witchers do. Isn't that so nice? They also listen to Swords and Satire. That's what I'm trying to say. Go out, tell your friends, tell your family, you can all listen to the show together. And then watch the things that we watch and be like, it's like they said, but where's the poop? (laughs) It's fun for the whole family. Especially the poop. That's right. Casey, thank you so much for joining us through seven of the eight episodes of The Witcher for this season. Wait, I missed one? You missed the first one. Oh, fuck. (laughs) You know, I hear uh, after this uh, past couple of months that you're being called by some the fourth satirist. Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly that's how we know you around here. Yeah, but uh, I'll probably dial it back until the witcher comes around again (laughs) well we've got blood origin coming up uh before too long so maybe that will be sooner rather than later yeah yeah thank you for joining us and for supporting us always and thanks to all of our other patrons too for all of your support and casey is there anything you want to plug before we go uh, yeah, I want to plug Chelsea's amazing editing skills. You guys have no idea oh. how much fucking work she puts into cutting out all the crap that we filled these episodes with. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I uh, play games on Friday nights with some friends of ours, usually when Chelsea is editing the show. And they always know now that if they hear cackling in the background of my <laughs> audio, that it's a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> also, way to call me out editing on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right before satire. Today. <laughs> I'm a last minute kind of person. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, until next time. Hail, Hail Crom! Crom.